Hello, you're listening to Yarns from the Plane, a podcast for knitters, crocheters, and anyone who loves to play with yarn. Hello, and welcome to episode 41 of Yarns from the Plane. Welcome back if you're a returning listener, and hello if you're new. Pull up a pew, grab a drink, settle down with your crafting. Come and join us. We'll budge up, we'll make room, I promise. How are you all? Hope you're doing well. Spring is definitely coming to the plane here. It's just on Friday, I drove to work all the way without my lights on. (laughs) It sounds such a small thing, but it's just enormous. The birds are going bonkers in the garden. You can probably hear them because I'm in the conservatory and they're tweeting like mad. Um, I'm just having a lovely time just watching them. It's just absolutely gorgeous. <laughs> and uh, the little tater tate daffodils, I saw the first two of those out yesterday. So I definitely feel that spring, if not fully sprung, is at least sort of coiling itself ready. I've had a very productive week, but not in my crafting. Caught up with loads and loads and loads of jobs at work, which by necessity has meant actually working quite late most evenings. I think the the worst one was one night I finished at about 20 past 11. Not at work, I hasten to add. Um, the premises get shut a lot of time and I don't have a key. But um, at home, uh, I just took advantage of the fact that the husband wasn't around one evening. He was uh, flying back quite late and I just worked through. So I have cleared quite a lot of jobs that were nagging at the back of my head. Obviously, they've been replaced by a whole new set of jobs because such is the nature of my job. But there we are. There's always things for me to fret about. It's just some I fret about more than others. But I have made up for that a bit yesterday. And this week I have knitted another mother bear. Um, bear. Uh, I've called this one Frank in honour of the inimitable Frank Carson, um, the Belfast comedian who died this week. If you don't know... Um, of whom I'm referring, please go and have a little look. You will find him. He is quite, I was going to say old school, but he's not Bernard Manning old school. Um, I I never found him offensive the way that actually I found Bernard Manning a bit offensive. But, you know, he's not the kind of comedian that would probably get a great deal of TV time over here in, in Britain at the moment. But it's just gags and they just make me laugh and they're funny. Um, so... It was sad to sort of hear of his passing, but he was in his 80s and his family issued a lovely statement, which was it was going to be very quiet down here, but God help them all up there, which I thought was just lovely. Um, so anyway, my new little bear, again knitted in the round, I've called him Frank. He's got mismatching yellow uh, jumper because I've run out of yarn, so the sleeves are a different colour, but there's green stripes in it, so it kind of breaks it up a bit. And he's got kind of russet trousers. Um... So not too much knitted with the uh, Serdar Snuggly Snowflake, um, which isn't so bad because it's quite hard to count the stitches in that. I did the head the size that they recommend, as in height, you know, three inches, rather than the number of rounds they recommend, because I can never get that to be three inches. It has given him quite a small head, though, and, and when I've done his ears, therefore, because his head, and I've not stuffed him as much as I've stuffed the others, his ears are very much at the top of his head, like a couple of... Um, <laughs> like mini mouse ears really rather than kind of at the corners at the side of his head so but he looks quite cute 
Uh, and again, I've done his face in embroidery floss because he's got a smaller face than um, some of the others. So they're all packed. They're, they're all there on top of the sofa now. I need to actually um, pack them all up and post them off because I'm getting a growing collection and my husband's convinced that I will also not be able to part with these and then they will just go and sit on top of the sofa and I'm determined that I'm going to send them. I am going to send them. So, Mother Bear, your bears are going to be on the way. I've also um, finished stitching um, 16 little squares together to make a cushion cover front for Woolsack. It's... Um, a very simple idea, you start at the corner with one stitch and then you knit garter stitch, increasing every row by knitting front and back into the final stitch until you have made a triangle, a right angle triangle, that has the sides of square that you want. So because I wanted 16 squares in my cushion cover, I wanted each square to be 4 inches Um have sides of 4 inches, so I knit all that in one colour, change colour. Um, knit one row straight and then started to decrease by knitting the last two stitches together on every row until I'd made the other side of the triangle. I've used three colours, um, a russet, a green, uh, a light green and a dark green. This was actually from um, the... I started knitting a very big diagonal garter stitch cushion using these and it was just interminable and I just wasn't feeling the love for it and I couldn't remember what size needles I'd done it on. Because, um, of course, I'd unscrewed the tips from the um, Knit Pros and put the caps on. And I couldn't remember. And I just thought, oh, this is just too much faff. So whilst I was away in the lakes last week, I ripped that all out, bound, wound it up into little balls and knit these. And I've pieced them together so that it looks like a patchwork design. It might be the Ohio Star. I'm not familiar with patchwork designs. But I'll put a photograph of it up on the show notes. And those of you who do quilt can correct me and uh, tell me what pattern it is. But it's, it looks like a quilting pattern. And I'm just sewing four big diagonal um, squares to go to be the back of this. So it's all chugging along quite nicely. I've not touched my damson since I spoke to you last, actually. Um, so, you know, apologies to Louise. I was going great guns, but uh, I put it back down again to clear some bears and do a, a bit of wool sack. Um, so that's where I'm up to. I've spun a little bit, not much, but I am now on the final quarter of the Shunkley's Cheviot. I am going quite around with it. It's really interesting. I keep looking at it wound up in the pile of fluff and on the bobbin at the moment. And it's pink, 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 pink. But when you look at the finished bobbins, they look purple. So I don't know if that means that the purple's more at one end. I've got some blue face Lester ready to dye some to be the ply. I just need to get myself sorted and do that in the daylight, really. Um... And and that's sort of my work's in progress at the moment and my finished stuff. Now, the rest of this episode is going to be part of a one-off, no, part of an occasional series entitled Postcards. It sort of came as an idea from the work, the, the audio I took when I was on holiday last summer in the States. And I thought it would be really interesting to just actually be a tourist in some of the places that I know quite well. And therefore, because I'm never a tourist in them, I don't kind of think of it with touristy eyes. So I thought I would do that for you. And so after I'd finished recording in the coffee shop for the last episode, I then went into Manchester and recorded some audio around Manchester. I'm 
editing it together with clips of music. So there's a little mini competition here. If you can successfully identify all of the music, the Manchester music that I use to link all the bits together, um, then I'm going to give you a, a prize. <laughs> I'll have a rummage out of some posh out of the, the start. I need to liberate the posh, I think. Um, so there's some gorgeous things in there. I did describe them, but I'll have a rummage. If anyone wants to have a go at identifying all of the, the music that I have used to intersperse the clips then uh, feel free they're all linked with manchester in some way i'll leave it at that some i think are really really going to be obvious some might be a little bit more obscure however i suspect that if you are my age-ish and spent any time in the northwest 20 years ago then a whole load of them are going to sound really familiar. And even if you didn't, and you're my age, most of these bands were all over the charts about 20 years ago in Britain. If you don't live in Britain, you may know some of these. You may not. But they are a representative sample of the kind of music, most of, of, of the kind of music that I was listening to in my formative years when I was at college. Now, I do have to apologise to Martine at this point from the I Make podcast because I talked in the last episode about community, internet community and how much I really liked that. And then I went off to record all my bits for the postcard series. And then last weekend, after I'd edited that and put that up, sorted out the download problem. For some reason, it, a few people were getting problems. I listened to an episode of I Make from earlier in the new year and Martine was talking about community and that's why she was having these knit-alongs uh, of the uh, Damask shawl and she and her friend Charles are going out and about to record some things from Guer around Guernsey. So I did think, oh, great minds think alike. Whilst I am mentioning podcasts, actually, I can't let this one go um, because I have for the last one, um, I didn't mention it in the last one, without saying a fond farewell to the Knitter Journey podcast. I was very late to the Knitter Journey party. Um, I only really started listening to them. I started by listening to the interviews when Dr Gemma from Cognitive and Louise from Caithness Craft Collective were featured in the interview um, section. And I sort of listened, picked out key interviews that of people that I knew. And then I went back to the start and started listening right from um, the beginning. I have very nearly caught up, but I've actually, I've, I'm holding off for the last three or four because I don't want to, to be over. How sad is that? Part of that is because I'm crushed. I'm crushed, I tell you. That, you know, I'm, I was never approached for an interview. No. <laughs> please, if you are listening, Susan, please, I didn't mean that. I really didn't mean that. I mean, obviously, the world has now missed out on the opportunity to hear who exactly I would design for and what exactly my ideal yarn shop would look like. But I can live with that. Honestly, I can. What I'm going to struggle to live without is actually Edward Martin's loop music and you and your wonderfully well thought out perspective. My podcast is very different from a lot of people's because I just sit down and wibble on. I do sometimes write notes down beforehand, but I don't write an essay and it is just 
off the cuff. And then a reasonable amount of editing as I take the ums and the ers and the pauses out. Yours was always well thought out and I did really enjoy that. So thank you, Susan, for everything on this journey. And I'm sad to see you go, but I understand why. And uh, I have everything archived. So, you know, I'll live. I've not deleted it off my computer. We're okay. So without further ado, I am going to sign off for this bit and put you over to a postcard from Manchester. Bear in mind that I was recording out in the open in some places, in galleries in others. So I am trying to even out the sound levels as much as possible so that you're not deafened by me shouting straight after a bit where I've tried to whisper. Each different area is separated by a piece of music. Again, I'm trying to make sure that the levels are even on that so that you don't end up with your ears bursting. I hope you enjoy it. I had forgotten how much I loved Manchester. If at any point you want to contact the show, please feel free to do so. Take care. bustling station and in the last few years it's been taken uh, really done over so it's a you know big vision of uh, glass and open space and a feeling of being open even when it's not so it's a vast improvement on how it used to be and it's one of the biggest uh, stations here in Manchester Piccadilly there is Manchester Victoria as well that serves a lot of um, trains coming from the north of the city. Like many cities, Manchester's really well served with public transport and I just walked out of Piccadilly station to find that they now do free shuttle buses from the station that take you into the city centre. Although it's not a very big walk, it's quite nice that they've laid on and they're free. You can hop on and hop off at any point and it takes you at various points around the city centre. So I hopped on one and I've got off at St Peter's Square. Now there's quite a lot of redevelopment going on. 
hence the building work noises. Um, but St Peter's Square is in front of the library, a beautiful circular building um, with lots of um, beautiful columns that, of course, now I'm stood here, I can't remember whether they're Ionic or Doric, but they are beautiful. It is the central Manchester library. As far as I'm aware, it's open to any member of the public. Downstairs, however, is the fabulous library theatre, where I have gone to see a number of productions over the years. Next to that is the Manchester Town Hall. So I'm actually currently looking at the back of the Town Hall. When you walk around the front of it, um, you're on Albert Square. Many of the things around the... Um, vicinity of Manchester are named after Victoria and Albert because so much of the development of the city took place as the industrial revolution progressed so of course many things were um, named in honour of Victoria and Albert the noise that's just gone past there is one of the Metro Link trains they are Trains that run on tracks in the middle of the town on the streets, and they're probably about 20 years old now. Um, they really opened up the city, and it's lovely to see that they're actually extending the, the service now, so taking around to other parts of the suburbs of Manchester. But I'm on my way now to see if one of my favourite places is open, because, of course, I haven't actually checked hours and times and days but I'm just walking along now to see if I can go into the City Art Gallery. <laughs> the last time I visited here, there was a wonderful um, pre-Raphaelite exhibition on. So I'm going on to see if I can find what is on at the City Art Gallery. So I'm here on the, well, I suppose it's the, the balcony of the landing of the first floor of the Manchester Art Gallery. And again, I'm noticing things that I've never noticed before when I've been here. Around the top of this landing area are casts of friezes from the Parthenon. They were given by George IV to decorate the hall of this building and its opening. And so the display that the art gallery have put around with it are, um, is exploring the various ways that artists represent male and female body and human interaction for um, over two centuries. And it was inspired by those. So there's a whole lot of, of work here. There are um, pieces here um, made by Wedgwood. So that's the actual... Um, possibly many sort of popular uh, and sort of recognisable by many the jasper wear um, so it's blue with an applied white motif and uh, they're you know really rather gorgeous and it's sort of um, we've got here um, Priam begging the body of Hector from Achilles and um, preparations for the sacrifice of a goat so I'll see if I can take some photographs of them for you but they're quite exquisite 
and it, it gives a real um, a real mixture of things on this gallery which are really really interesting so I'm in a quieter part of the gallery now and I've just left the gallery space that's dedicated to the 18th century where um, there are works by amongst others Gainsborough and Dandridge and then um, through there is also a very large um, view of the Thames by Turner but as you leave that you are arrested by the side across the gallery across the, the landing really of Jane Morris depicted by Rossetti um, as Astarte and anyone who knows anything about pre-Raphael art will recognise Jane Morris as a very popular model. She was the wife of William Morris and it's quite arresting and deliberately lined up with the doors so that you cannot miss her as you leave the 18th century room. She's literally lined up with the doors so that across this enormous space you are captivated by her. And there are a number of pre-Raphaelite works in here. Um, again, with a variety of ceramic pieces all the way through. Some familiar as uh, Wedgwood, although it's not Jasperware, and others not so familiar, but drawing their themes from classical work as much of the work in this Victorian room does. The pre-Raphaelite collection here at Manchester Art Gallery is the jewel in the crown of the gallery's historic art collections and they've very interestingly put together um, a reinterpretation area for 21st century Manchester. It, it ran from May last year until, uh, runs until May this year and the gallery's been working collaboratively with families, schools, community groups to reevaluate what those pre-Raphaelite paintings mean to Mancunians today. And so much of the work has been inspired by four display paintings that are on display in an interactive area, um, chosen because they are key works, um, or, or works by key pre-Raphaelite artists, um, and they explore significant themes of nature, storytelling, and modern life. Now, I don't recognise all of the pieces but I do recognise one which is the Hireling Shepherd by William Holman Hunt um, so I've actually taken a little detail of the little lamb who sits on the on the uh, shepherd girl's lap um, it's uh, a painting that always makes me smile and it's uh, partly I think because of the sheep and the lamb who's so bidding and willing to sit on the girl's lap um, but it's each piece has got a number of um, new pieces of work in a range of media surrounding them um, and they are sort of there's some children's work um, students work, adults work but just interesting interpretations of what that picture means um, and you know so there are little things of sheep motifs in there but people's work sort of talking of freedom and many pieces that it just, it's just a really interesting interactive display um, that sort of makes people think um, what to do. One of the pieces is, uh, or one of the other pictures in the display is the Bower Meadow by um, Rossetti, 
and um, I would say that the model, one of the models here that's used is um, Lizzie Siddle, who he went on to marry, but she's quite stunning. She's the red-headed girl um, in many of the Rossetti paintings that you may be familiar with. But it's just really interesting, and I had forgotten how powerful some of these pieces are and what a lovely gallery this is. So although I'm not going to spend much longer in here, I hope that this has given you a little taster of some of the things that are available here just in the one gallery in Manchester um, that's definitely worth checking out. It's not the only gallery by any means. On Oxford Road, down near um, the university, there is the Whitworth Gallery, which has a number of um, displays in there. Again, a changing collection that's delightful. But it's just... I go there far more often than I come here, and I always forget the treasures that are here in the Manchester Art Gallery. So I hope that this goes a little way towards making you think that if you do live in the northwest, that you need to come and find this little gem that's just tucked away in the business district on Market Street. Of course, it wouldn't be me if I wasn't actually telling you something duff. I've just stepped out of the gallery and realised that, of course, we're not on Market Street. We're on Moseley Street. So apologies if you're looking on a map going, I've got no idea whereabouts she's talking about. Um, we're just down from St Peter's Square on Moseley Street. So this is the Manchester Art Gallery. Manchester is viewed as pretty much the world's first industrialised city. It was traditionally, or the vast majority of it, is traditionally in the county of Lancashire. And those of you who have been listening for a while remember I have mentioned before Yorkshire and its wool-spinning heritage. But here in Lancashire, and specifically Manchester and the surrounding areas, Old and Rochdale, were built not so much on the wool industry, but due to their climate, the cotton industry. The dampness of the air in Manchester meant that it was actually easier, far, far easier, to spin cotton here than it was anywhere else. And so the textile industry that grew up in Manchester grew up based around cotton, and that indeed gave it its nickname from the industrial and Victorian era of Cottonopolis. It's left the town with a legacy of a, a great deal of stunning Victorian architecture that in places has been knocked down and replaced with delightful 1960s concrete. Um, note the heavy irony. Um, but there are still gems of the Victorian architecture around, particularly when you're looking at the area around um, Market Street where we have a lot of shops. 
the area around Piccadilly Gardens, where I'm stood now. Um, which is, as you can hear from the traffic noise, also a hub for uh, the buses and the Metrolink. So it's probably going to get a little bit noisy around here. However, just off, you don't have to go far from where I'm standing now in Piccadilly Gardens to begin to get a feel of some of the older parts of Manchester. Some of them still look quite run down. These are the old warehouses, possibly even the mills, or what's left of them. And in some of these, lurking by to the north of Piccadilly Gardens, in the area that's becoming known as the Northern Quarter, you can find several little gems that may be of interest. So one such place is just down Tib Street on the corner of Short Street. Place that many memories for me. And it's Affleck's Palace, or now commonly known as Affleck's. It was established in 1982 and is retail emporium across four floors with about 70 different shops in it. There'd be all sorts in there when I was you know, here 20 years ago. Tattooists, piercers, hairdressers, boutique fashion for the alternative tastes. I'm not a cool kid and I never was, and I don't know if it is the place that cool kids hang out, but I have to say, looking at the sheer amount of variety of people with the variety of fashions that are coming in and out of Aflex, I'd say it's going as strong as it ever was. It would be the kind of place where the vendors, on the whole, obviously making a sweeping generalisation here, would have considerably more piercings than you might find in the department stores just down the road. Hair colour would seldom be natural, unless, of course, you were born naturally with blue or pink hair, but unlikely to be. And when I was growing up, and a, a late teenager... And then when I came to the Northwest, even though I'd never been to Manchester, apart from an interview in the university, two or three miles away, everyone knew about Affleck. It was the place that you were supposed to go to buy your fashion, the place where all the cool kids went. And I have to say, I'm heartened by seeing how many different people with such a variety of styles are here still. And I would say, looking at the windows that we've still got, that range, that eclectic range of shops here, selling vintage as well as modern stuff. And it's just a delight to see, and it makes my heart sing. And if there's something that just says to me the cocky assurance of Manchester, then it's Affleck's Palace, and particularly the mosaic on the side that's based on the legendary T-shirt, which I will 
include a photo of in this these notes oh do you know I may not be a cool kid I may not even be a kid but this still place still makes me smile So I'm now stood on the corner of Lever Street and uh, I think it's, it's actually on Stevenson Square, uh, an area that's full of bars, dance schools, banks that, you know, you haven't tended to hear of. And then on the corner here is just an amazing store. It's called Fred Aldous. It's been, as it says, serving the create or supplying the creative mind since 1886, and it is an art, craft, and design material shop. Virtually everything you could imagine. I don't think it does a great deal in terms of yarn, but it certainly sells fibre for felting and dyes and a whole range of different things in its basement. So, throw me a lifeline. I'm going in. I'm out alive. And I've actually managed to resist buying anything, which is quite good going, really. Um, <clears throat> I had forgotten, actually, that they sold dyes. So I was very tempted to get a nice lilac dye, but then I just thought I will wait. Since I've ordered some anyway, I will be patient and play around with the dyes I've already got. I don't need any more. Um, but it is a real treasure trove of a whole different range of arts and crafts materials. And well worth a look at for those of you who are that way inclined in the northwest, They do do mail order too, um, but it is a, a smashing place. It's great. Now, staying in the northern quarter, I've just gone uh, a few streets along to find myself at 62 Port Street. I have to say, last time I was here, I don't remember it being quite so open. It does look as if a few things have been knocked down in front of this. Maybe they haven't. Maybe it was just it was dark last time I was here. It was well over a year. But 62 per Port Street is the home of Pearl City Yarns. So... I'm here and I'm just going to go and have a nosy and have a nice time going fondling the yarn. There's some very nice things in here. Hope to find some fibre too. So I've just uh, lost all restraint in uh, Pearl City Yarns and ended up buying um, some Lorna's laces in a gorgeous sort of bright pink and bright blue striping combination. I know like I need more sock yarn but it's an interesting store they've they've it's very small um but they have quite a wide range and they've laid everything out so that it's um arranged by weight 
So whereas other retailers might lay things out by maker, um, these are laid out by rate. So you've got a lace weight section, uh, fingering section, DK section, Aaron section, chunky, um, and then everything's mixed up there. So they stock Fibre Spates and Debbie Bliss. But they also um, have a lot of drops um, from Scandinavia. So we've got um, Drops Alpaca. I think there's um, some Nepal, um, a whole range of different um, things. Absolutely gorgeous. They've got one little section, you know, with my British wool search on. Uh, they've got one little section of blacker um, Aaron Waite Shetland um, that's there for sale. They've got um, a lot of Adrafil, um, so Italian yarns that I'm not particularly familiar with, but it's nice to see. Um, a different range and it does mean that um, with the exception of a few things like the Debbie Bliss I can actually go in there and look at things that I can't see in my own local yarn store so that's really interesting to see now I'm heading back into um, or back towards Piccadilly Gardens now and the plan is um, I'm due to meet my husband in uh, an hour and a half but I thought that I would um, just see if I could take you to uh, one or two other cultural highlights. Now, the thing about Manchester, it is a bustling place. Um, and there are some quite... There's very diverse areas, um, but there are also some um, very specific areas. So, south of um, here, she says confidently, assuming that she is, of course, walking south. She might not be walking south at all. Um, anyway... Um, just a few streets down from here is the Chinatown district where there is a beautiful friendship arch which like many of the things that I wanted to show you today uh, appears to be covered in um, some scaffolding and some protective materials presumably because they're doing some work on them um, there's a, a nice range of Chinese restaurants there um, people may have heard of Yang Sing um, they're a chain of, of restaurants that are well established here and um, they're, they're particularly um, popular, but they're not the only ones by any means. Further south, in um, in the rush home area, so you're talking a couple of miles away, really. Um, that's where you'll find the uh, area that's been dubbed the Curry Mile. So, whereas some a lot of people might well be able to pick out Yangtze as perhaps the um, go-to. Chinese restaurant in Manchester. It's much harder to do that in Indian. If you ask uh, anybody um, what the best Indian in Manchester is, you're probably going to get as many different answers as the number of people you ask. Um, but it is the place to go for a curry in Manchester. Um, so it's in Rush Home and uh, it's uh, really eclectic. And again, with all of the Indian restaurants, you always get the Indian shops, the fabric shops, and the supermarkets. And it's a real eclectic mix. It's down um, near the university um, on Oxford Road, or the university's base is sort of roughly up the spine of Oxford Road. And then um, Rush Home is further down that towards the student accommodation. But I'm going to stay in city centre. I've talked about art galleries talked a little bit of craft shopping I've talked architecture and now the next thing is theatre 
there are many theatres in Manchester. I mentioned the Library Theatre already. Um, you have the Palace Theatre on Oxford Road, the Opera House, um, the Bridgewater Hall, which is the home of the world-famous Harry Restaurant. Sorry, nearly got run over by a bus then. Took me eye off the ball. Very silly. Um, but uh, my favourite is the Royal Exchange. The Royal Exchange Theatre is in the Royal Exchange Building, which, as it sounds, was um, the hub of the Manchester economy. And it was... Um, there are a number of buildings in, in Manchester with the name Exchange. So you have the Cotton Exchange and the Corn Exchange, where those tradings take pla took place. The Royal Exchange, I think, was a general trading floor. Um, but it now houses the Royal Exchange Theatre. But it's not like any other theatre that I've ever visited. The building itself is gorgeous. Probably George and I would say looking at the architecture. And the inside is very much in keeping with that. But the theatre itself is a modular metal structure. It's a theatre in the round. So the performing space is in the centre and the seats are around it at floor level and then two higher levels. And that means that people can go into the Royal Exchange to have a cup of coffee or shop in the craft shops that are there and still not actually disturb the production that may be going on. Although you do need to walk around very quietly so that you don't disturb anything. But if you actually do go in at those points, on a matinee, for example, it's really interesting because then what you see is you see the actors in the performances coming out of the theatre and then, you know, going around so they're sort of exiting through one door and then coming back in through another. Sorry, more renovation, I'm afraid, um, that we have to contend with. I think I'm going to shut off for now and start again when I get down to the Royal Exchange. So after the bustle and noise of the street performers and the Valentine's Day free hugs outside, again, there's an almost reverential silence when we come inside the building itself, although the coffee shop is open and the bar is open and there are people around and as you can hear the acoustics make everything echo, it is essentially a quiet space when there is no performance on but it's still one of my favourite places in Manchester. So it's now dusk, quarter to six, 
and I am outside part of the Museum of Science and Industry, the Air and Space Hall, because tonight, my husband and I, have got a date. We are at the Stargazers Planetarium show tonight for the Valentine's Do. <coughs> I don't think there's particularly anything Valentine'sy about it, apart from the fact that it seemed a good reason for them to throw open their doors and uh, get some evening trade. But, you know, it's... Uh, Makes a difference to those terribly inflated restaurant prices. Although, like I say, um, you know, there's uh, nothing wrong with a little bit of romance. But it's made me think that in all of the bits of the postcard that I've sent to you today, this hour or postcard, I've barely mentioned museums. And Manchester, again, is rich in them. This is the Museum of Science and Industry. It's on the edge of Manchester, if you like, almost in Salford. And it covers um, all facets of science and industry. And it actually occupies the site of the first passenger railway station, which was on the Manchester to Liverpool line, the first passenger railway in the world, which I think opened in 1830. Of course, for those of you who aren't aware of this at all, that date of the first running of the first ever passenger railway service in the world also saw the first ever railway casualty due to the fact that the MP for, I think it's the MP for Manchester, although it could be the MP for Liverpool, I'm not entirely sure, I'd have to check, um... William Huskisson was hit and killed by the passenger train. See, they were dangerous even then when they only went at 20 miles an hour. However, it's just a fascinating museum, one of many fascinating museums in this city. If you do ever get a chance to visit Manchester, please do so. It's way more, way more than football grounds and Coronation Street. I mean, I've not even mentioned the Egyptology Museum on Oxford Road, the People's Museum, the Cathedral, the rebuilt Roman Fort and Gate, Elizabeth Gaskell, the Suffragettes, John Ryland's Library, the Manchester music scene, Manchester, Baggies, the Hacienda. You've been listening to Yarns from the Plain. Show notes and links are available at the Yarns from the Plain show page at yarnsfromtheplain.podbean.com. If you'd like to contact the show, you can leave a comment over there on the show page, or you can email me at yarnsfromtheplain at googlemail.com. Or message me on Ravelry, where I'm tales from the plane. Until next time, take care, and thanks for listening. <laughs>